we have, after tonight, we'll have, I think, about three weeks left in this course. Um, I think tonight will be our last main bit of identity stuff, of who we are in Christ. Um, there are more ideas we could cover. Um, you know, there's, uh, there are all sorts of uh, just threads of identity through the New Testament. You know, you've got saints is one that's mentioned a lot. Soldiers is one that's used a few times. We didn't, uh, we didn't spend any extended time on either of those, which we could have. Um, there may be just a few others that you could find, but uh, we covered a lot of the major ones about that, that shape um, who we are and how we see ourselves and how God defines us. Um, and so next week, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about how, how our identity shapes the way we view ourselves and everyone else. Uh, and then we'll also talk about uh, how we engage a world that has sort of lost its true identity um, and what it means. You know, how do we interact with that and how do we uh, bear witness to who we are truly in Christ and, and even as humans? So those will be a couple of things coming up in the next couple of weeks. But tonight, uh, well, first let's review. Uh, I keep having to make the font smaller to get them all up here on the one screen. So you're, you're definitely better off looking at your notes. There's no way you can, maybe you can read that. That's great if you can. But these are the various aspects we've covered in Christ um, and uh, identifying ourselves in these ways, loved, justified, adopted, born again, favored, reconciled, redeemed, member of his body, citizen of his kingdom, light bearer. That was what we talked about last week. Tonight is kind of a different one, but it's an important one. Uh, In Christ, I am changing into his image. And this is related to our identity as saints. It's related to our being sanctified. There are a number of aspects of our Christian identity That is stated in Scripture as if it's done, and yet it's also a work in progress. So we're saints, we're set apart, we're made holy, and yet we're also being sanctified toward that goal. And it won't be completed until we see the Lord, and we're with Him, we're glorified forevermore. So this is one of those aspects where we're we're a work in progress, we're moving toward a goal. And the goal is such that it's stated that it's done, right? We're saints, we're holy, we're righteous. You know, a number of these um, identity traits that we've talked about are things that we look at ourselves and we're like, okay, I know God says that about me, but is he seeing the same thing I'm seeing here? You know, <laughs> this doesn't quite add up. And it's because God uh, sees what he made us and what we are becoming, right? So um, some of these things look, look ahead and of course, some of them are invisible theological concepts too, but at any rate, we are changing. And so I want to think about the implications of us as people who are changing. It's really interesting. This is often overlooked in Christianity. In fact, I think it's one of the largest problems in Christianity is that we, we forget that we are changing. Um, let me try to give you a few examples to understand what I mean. Uh, we often look at others around us, so, so when we think of the problems in our lives, we look at things outside of ourselves, right? They need to change, right? So what's the problem in this scenario? Why is this relationship broken? Well, they, <laughs> right? If the sentence begins that way, what I'm doing is I'm saying, I, I'm, I'm doing pretty well, actually. 
they need to get their act together, right? So we forget, I am changed. I'm in need of change. God is changing me. I'm not, I, I'm not standing here before you showing you exactly what Jesus is like, so therefore, I'm a work in progress. I'm still changing and growing. Um, a lot of marriages struggle in this category because uh, one spouse sees the issues of the other spouse and their need to change, but looks right past uh, their own issues, their own need to change. And there's no humility or repentance or effort to, to, to work on the things God is seeking to do in them. And so because we don't see our own need for change as a big deal, we become impatient with others. Right? So we're going to dig into this a little bit more and, and we'll spend the last half of the lesson thinking through some implications about the Christian life that I think would be really helpful to you. Um, where does patience with people come from? It comes from a, the, an understanding that God is patient with me as a work in progress. And so therefore, I'm patient with others who are also a work in progress. Um, so that's one example of an idea we'll get to at the end here. All right, so first of all, I gave it away already, but I am changing. I am changing. This is really uh, good news. God is growing me. Um, I'm not stuck where I am, or I shouldn't be at least. So a uh, couple of verses here. Someone willing to read Romans 12, 1 and 2. Somebody willing to go there? Carrie, thank you. And then somebody else, Philippians 1, 6. Jim, thank you. So what we're going to see in Romans 12, 1 and 2, at least the main thing I want to catch here is that we're changing, and I will say we can be changing for better or for worse. Now, there's a sense in which God is always changing us for better if we're true believers. We can't, can't go down the worst path all that long until God brings disciplinary correction into our lives. But we're always changing. There's no just, you know, stagnant state. So Carrie, please read Romans 12, 1 and 2. Okay, so, I mean, there's tons of stuff in these two verses we could, we could draw out and dwell on tonight, but I just want you to notice, do not be conformed to this world. So that's a possibility, that I'm changing, I'm just being conformed to this world. He says, do not be conformed to this world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we're going to think a little more about what that means through some other passages here. But, um, you know, I can change for better or for worse, and that's something that can be true in my life. I can kind of be drifting in conformity to the world, or God can be transforming me uh, as my mind is renewed, I think, through Scripture um, and living in God's will. So those are two possibilities. Next, uh, Philippians 1.6. Jim. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work, you will bring it uh, to completion. Okay, so God has promised to complete his work in me. He's promised to complete his work in me. Now, that will be fully completed when Christ returns. We're caught up with him in the cloud and we'll, we'll be changed into his image, glorified forevermore. So that's the, that's the full completion of that work. But I think that also applies to 
our present condition as we await that day, that God is continuing this work in us, which is super encouraging. So God is at work in your life. Uh, think of, I mean, just pause on that fact for a moment, right? All the things going on in the world, the God who holds every star in place, every planet, who knows every detail, everything going on, holds the world together. He is aware of your life and the details, and he knows your strengths, he knows your faults, and he's got a, he's got a plan laid out of how he's going to start refining you in different areas and growing you to be more like Jesus Christ. How cool is that? He thinks of you and works on you. So he's promised to complete his work in me. I'm changing. I'm changing. So let's think a little bit about how I change. Uh, I'll go ahead and assign these passages here, and then we'll work down through them. Who will take 2 Corinthians 3.18 for us? Renee, thank you. Uh, Let's see, 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. Del, uh, 1 Peter 2.1-3. Uh, Jennifer to the right, or Jennifer uh, Graham, thank you. <laughs> I can't, oh, it was um, sec- 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3, yep. Second uh, Peter 1, 2 through 4, Kevin, thank you. James 1, 21 and 22. Jennifer Tylavsky, there we go. Two Jennifers there. I can't even say like red hair. I mean, there's a guy, no, just. <laughs> yeah, gotta go with the last name. All right, Ephesians 4 20 through 24. Linda, thank you. All right, quite a few passages here that we're going to. But so letters A through D actually are intended to form a complete sentence explaining kind of how, how we change. How does this happen? Okay. So let's start with 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all, with unveiled faces, are reflecting the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Okay. So we're being transformed from glory to glory into the same image, into His image. Who is doing this? It's the Lord, or specifically God's Spirit. God's Spirit. One who is in us is is transforming us into the glorious image of Christ. Now, we looked at this verse last week when we talked about being light bearers. God's glory in us, which shines through our weaknesses, is also transforming us. It's changing us to be more like Him. So God's Spirit is at work in us. All right, let's go next to 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. Dell, thank you. Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Okay, great. So letter B is that God's Spirit uses God's Word. The Word is what God uses to begin to shape us into the image of Christ. And I think you could actually make the argument that's one of the things he's talking about in 2 Corinthians 3.18 As we see in a mirror, we are changed from glory to glory. We see God's glory in Scripture 
It's almost like the light is radiating from its pages, and that begins to transform us as God's Spirit uses that. All right, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. Okay, so in the Word, we taste that the Lord is gracious, and we keep taking it in, and that's how we grow thereby, as the verse puts it. So it's the Scriptures that help us to make spiritual growth. So God's Spirit uses God's Word, and it's kind of obvious from 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3, is just read, letter C is to grow me, right? So that's how He grows me. But another passage that highlights this, 2 Peter one, two through four. Where did I give that one? Kevin, thank you. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Okay, so as again, really packed verses here. We can't break down everything. Let's take them backwards. So from the end of verse 4, we've escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So God has, this is, you know, we've talked about this in previous lessons. He's redeemed us out of that. Okay, well, let's, what, what comes just before that? You may be partakers of the divine nature. So that's that changed into his image, his glory in us. Whoa, cool. So we've been redeemed out of the stuff of the world, and we can be partakers of his divine nature. Well, how does that happen? Well, he says in the previous phrase, through these, what's these referring back to? His exceedingly great and precious promises. So it's through his exceedingly great and precious promises that we are changed and become partakers of his divine nature. It's a, it's a gift from God. Where do we find his great and precious promises? Well, they're written in his word, aren't they? Yeah, they're written in his word. And if that weren't clear enough, I think it's exactly what um, verse 3 talks about as well, when it says his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Where do we know what he's like? Where do we read of his glory and virtue? Oops, I gave it away. Where do we see his glory and virtue, right? It's in the Word. Now, we can see those things in creation. We can see those things in fellow believers as well. But the clearest, most detailed revelation of God is his Word. And there we find all things pertaining to life and godliness, things which allow us to partake of his divine nature. Cool. So the Word, Spirit uses the Word to grow us. Now, we do play a part... In this, and that's what we're going to look at in letter D here. Uh, so, let's we'll go ahead and read our, our verses here. J, who had James one twenty one and twenty eight? Jennifer, thank you. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Okay, so there's this receiving with meekness the word of God and doing it. Right? So, you know, this is not just taking in knowledge generally, but receiving with meekness and doing it. And so, kind of the way I've put that is as I yield and obey. 
is I yield and obey. I, this is how I participate in this process of growth. Now, God can grow me with me dragging my feet the whole way, too. He can do that, right? He's powerful enough to do that. And, and he, when I do that, he brings, often brings discipline in, little reminders to me, Lance, you're not submitting. You know, come on, get on, the, get on board here with what I'm doing in your life and uh, work with me here. But this yielding and obeying is crucial. So another way it's put is in Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. Who had those verses? Linda, thank you. You have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in the righteousness, in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, excellent. So you've, you're familiar with this three-part process, right? Put off the old man, the former self. The flesh is another way to put that. But your old habits, your old ways, be done with those. Be renewed in your minds. And it's interesting. He draws that back to the very person of Christ. You have not so learned Christ. Even more interesting is the likelihood that the Ephesian believers that he's writing to did not see Christ so when he says, you have learned Christ, he's talking about his teaching, I think, with them. That he instructed them what Christ is like. And whatever aspects of the written word they had at that point was their view of what Christ was like. And so that's where their minds were renewed. See what Christ is like. That's, how, that's what we need to put on. And so then put on the new man, Christ, in true righteousness and holiness. So um, that's that process. Put off, change your thinking put on. The word changes our thinking. It shows us where we've believed a lie and where we need to live the truth instead. And actually, really interesting study for you, verses 25 through 32 sort of then do that very process. If you notice verse 25, he begins talking about honesty. Uh, And he's like, hey, put away lying, for it is written. He gives them scripture. So put off lying, renew the mind, it is written. We're all members of one another, so speak the truth, put on honesty. So he's almost like applying what he just told them, put off, renew, put on, and then he begins giving them examples of what that looks like. So anyway, that's a whole different story. All right, so this is that process of change. God's Spirit uses God's Word to grow me as I yield and obey. My part is yielding and obeying. That means there are some crucial virtues for the changing. Crucial virtues for the changing. Um, actually, just two passages I want to go to here, so we'll, we'll go to them together. The first is James chapter 4. Uh, I'm actually not going to read every verse. I'll, I'll try to give you the overview of what's happening in this text, okay? So just sort of follow along with me. Verse 1 draws this question, where do conflicts come from? You're getting in a fight, where does it come from? And he says, it's from your pleasures. And so he breaks that down further in verse 2. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. So it's this self-serving, I want what I want and I'm going to get it. 
verse 3, he brings up then their, even their selfishness. When they ask, they just ask for their, so they can just spend it on themselves. What's the problem? Verse 4, he calls it spiritual adultery. They're worshiping themselves and their desires rather than worshiping God. Therefore, they're enemies with God, he says in verse 4. Okay, so basic ideas 1 through 4 is a major heart sin problem, idolatry, worship of the wrong thing. So then the question becomes, how do we change? Okay, so starting in verse 5 begins this process of change. Verse 5, I think, describes conviction. The Spirit of God in us senses our idolatry, convicts us of that, and says, No, 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 you, you are the Lord's. He deserves your worship. Don't worship this idol. Don't worship yourself. Don't worship your desire, whatever it may be. Come back to the Lord. So the Spirit in me yearns jealously. And that's where it all begins, this conviction. Ooh, that was wrong, and I know it. So it starts there. Verse 6, what happens next? God gives grace. Isn't that sweet? I love that. He gives more grace. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. So already with his spirit, he begins to pull me back. And he just, though I don't deserve it, I haven't repented yet. He pours on the grace. And then there's this beautiful principle. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So there's the first virtue that we want to have when it comes to change, humility, humility. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So as God's Spirit convicts me, God gives grace, and my response needs to be humility. Oh, Lord, you are right, and I am wrong. (laughs) Forgive me. I get low. I put myself under His authority again. And there's more grace as we humble ourselves. Um, So so that's, you know, the beginning of this process. And verses 7 through 10, I think, sort of break down more specifically that process of humility. It's submitting to God. I'm resisting the devil. I'm saying no to what it was that just led me astray, my, my idolatry. No, no, no longer. I'm done with that. And the promise is that by God's power, the devil will flee. I can say no, and there's victory there. Then I draw near to God, and another sweet promise, he draws near to me. There's this cleansing. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. God's forgiveness is described there. I return to the Lord. Verse 9 is a right sense of the sorrow we ought to have over our sin. There's something to taking our sin seriously. You know, God's forgiveness is not meant to be this kind of like flippant lifestyle. Hey, I can do whatever I want and just say I'm sorry, you know. Um, better to ask forgiveness than permission kind of a lifestyle. No, that's, that's not what it is at all. That when I sin and the Lord convicts me and I humble myself and come back to Him, there is weeping over what I've done. It's not weeping that leads to despair. Oh, woe is me. I'm, I'll never be forgiven. No, it's weeping that leads to joy. Notice how verse 10 goes. As I humble myself, God does the exalting. He lifts me back up. Right. So I make myself low, and I trust Him to lift me up. So humility, in this process of change, humility is huge. Um, to recognize, I need to be changed. Oh, Lord, keep changing me. 
I almost live life with this perspective like, okay, Lord, what's the next thing? What do you have for me today? What, what awful thing do you want to remove from my life and refine in my life? I'm ready. Show me. You know, this is our perspective uh, because the goal is His glory, His perfect glory. So I got a ways to go. <laughs> That's humility right there. It's a, it's a true understanding of who we are. And this doesn't erase all the other things that we've learned so far, that I'm loved and I'm favored, I'm under His grace. I mean, those are all still true. But as a result, I humble myself before a holy God. Okay, let's go over to um, 2 Corinthians. There's two more verses I want to think about here. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. Sorry to say that out loud. You have them in your, your notes there, I guess. But 2 Corinthians 7, verses 10 and 11. So here's an example. In a letter that we don't have between First and 2 Corinthians, Paul um, confronted the Corinthian church about some things, and, uh, and they were made sorrowful about it. And so Paul's sort of interacting with them about that exchange, that they did repent. So notice what he says. Verses 10 and 11. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal. In all things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter." So they had what Paul calls godly sorrow, which led to active pursuit of change and growth. Just listen to those words he uses to describe them. They were zealous and passionate because that godly sorrow brought them low. As God lifted them up, they were just energized to change. Okay, we're not making this mistake again. Oh, Lord, help us. We want to live differently. And so they were passionate about growing and changing. So letter B is that godly sorrow. And James described that, lament, mourn, weep, making ourselves low over our sin. But that leads to letter C, repentance, heading the other direction. It's a, it's a wonderful word because it's not just admitting what I did was wrong, but it's turning and going the other way, right? Which it's sort of obvious, like if I'm admitting that what I did was wrong, you would think we would also turn and go the other way, but it doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes we confess that it was wrong, and it's kind of like, yep, it was wrong, but uh, I think we're going to stay here a while. You know, it's, it's not at all what the Lord wants of us. If, if it's wrong, then head the other way. That's godly sorrow that leads to repentance and um, part of that process of change. The final virtue that I'll just mention is not mentioned in any of these passages overtly, but it's faith. And it comes from the idea of the, the exceedingly great and precious promises that God has given us. And we walk by faith. So, for instance, back at that James passage, a few promises in there that we have to believe. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So I have to trust 
that God will do that. And that when I humble myself, he will lift me up. Another promise I have to believe in this process of repentance. Or another one, that when I confess my sins, there's forgiveness and restoration, right? So there's a number of promises in that process of change that I, that I have to believe. And so faith is sort of wrapped up in that. If you want a verse, uh, you could probably look at uh, Hebrews 11. Uh, without faith, it is impossible to please him. That would be a fine reference. But the idea is... But I have to trust what he says about this process of change. Um, that it is good and right for me to confess and to get low, even though it, it feels awful. Right? We don't like admitting our sins or embarrassing ourselves. or We don't like that. We trust that that's good and right and that God will then lift us up uh, out of that low place. Okay, so there's some virtues. All right, with the rest of the time, I'm going to walk through these implications of being works in progress, okay? We are works in progress. So we're thinking about how we interact with one another. You know, the assumption is we're all of us in the room, are works in progress, okay? So... Um, yeah, how does that impact the way we interact with one another? Let's see here. Let me hand out just a couple of passages at this point. Um, somebody willing to take Matthew 7, 1 through 3. Dell, thank you. James 1, 19 and 20. Alina, thank you. 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9. Raleigh, thank you. Um, Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Michael, thank you. How far are we? Uh, let's, I'll pause there for now and we'll assign some more in a little bit here. All right, so um, Matthew 7, 1 through 3. Who had that one for us? Dell, thanks. Do not judge so you will not be judged. For the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Okay. Again, a number of really helpful principles we could draw from this passage. Um, we're not, you know, God did not make us each other's judges. We'll get into that a little bit more later. Um, but the key idea I want to take away from this one is the humility that's willing to see my own log before I focus on the speck in my neighbor's eye, right? Um, if, I'm, if we're all works in progress, think about that. If we're all a work in progress, sure, they have things that they need to learn and grow in to be more like Jesus, but so do I, right? And so there's some log in my eye that God's working on, and i got to take care of that before I, you know, get all up in a tizzy over the speck in my neighbor's eye. I don't know what a tizzy is, but watch out for those. So, yeah, we must be humble. We must be humble. There's got to be the humility that's willing to look and say, okay, well, yeah, so my neighbor, they, they, have some, they have an area they need to grow in, right? Big surprise. We're all works in progress. I'm not saying it's okay. They need to work on that. But I have something too. So, Lord, give me the humility to see that. And as I humbly deal with it, it's incredible. 
I can then come to my friend as a fellow work in progress and say, hey, you know, I just had to, I just had to talk to the Lord about something in my own heart he pointed out today. And uh, there's been something on my heart to share with you. Would you be open to talking with that about me? And I, I need to grow. And I know you want to, too. Um, we, we can come with compassion, you know, and it's not just like, well, I saw you do this, you know, calling each other out like that. Well, no, we're all works in progress. And so we want to help each other grow because I need to grow. James 1, 19 and 20. I don't remember where. Beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Okay, so we must be teachable. Must be teachable. Swift to hear and slow to speak. Swift to hear and slow to speak. And that phrase, that last phrase of the verse is just so clear. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Anger does not grow us. Okay? So if somebody's sin makes you angry... You're not producing the righteousness of God. I mean, it's just like this really simple mathematical equation right here. <laughs> Anger does not equal growth, right? There it is. So something needs to change in here before I help this person deal with their sin. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So I'm swift to hear and slow to speak. All right? Teachable. Good. 1 John 1, 8 through 9. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. So we must admit our sin. We can't just hide it. If we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us, right? So the fact that we are a work in progress, the fact that I'm changing means that right now, at this very moment, present in my life is sin. That's true. And to pretend otherwise is a lie. If we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us. Now, God is so kind, right? Think about that. How far am I from the image of Christ? Well, I don't actually know. I know that I'm far. God has the measure of it. So there's all these things in my life that need to change. God hasn't shown me all of those, right? He works on me little by little. How patient is that? Right? So it's like, okay, today, Lance, we're going to work on, you know, patience, for instance. That's a good one. So I've got this stoplight for you, and I've got this phone call for you, and we're going to grow your patience today. And it at the end of the day, it will still fall short of Jesus and it will still be part of my sinful condition. But God is so patient. Like he's working on these things little by little. And so how silly is it for, for when he brings those sins to light, when the spirit yearns in me to work on something, for me to say, no, it's, actually, I'm, I'm good there. Patience, yeah, I got that one. It's just silly, right? It's silly. And so to know that we're changing people, we're works in progress, means that 
I'm just, just, I'm out there with my sin. That doesn't mean I'm telling everybody everything. That's not the point. That as soon as God pricks my heart about something, oh, yes, Lord, you're right. You're right. That's wrong, and I need to work on it. I'm not, you know, sweeping it under the pew or blaming somebody else. (laughs) Yeah. So we must admit our sin. I mean, I know it sounds obvious, but it's a real challenge, isn't it? So here's just a helpful distinction that comes up in church a lot, okay? So we don't want to be hypocrites, right? Um, and, I, and I know this is a challenge for a lot of young people, right? A lot of people claim they leave the church because of hypocrisy. Uh, let me just explain something that might be helpful to you, okay? So there, hypocrisy is a real thing that's out there. Hypocrisy is when we don't admit our sin. So, uh, you know, we're, we're on our way to church, and just make up an example. We're on our way to church, and we just have the worst attitude in the world. I hate going to church. Why do I have to do this? And if I don't go, everybody will know. So I got to go. I'm stuck going. Thanks a lot, Lord. You know, and so we have this horrible attitude. And so we show up to church. We walk in the door. like, hey, how's everybody doing? Great to see you, you know. And so in our hearts is still going on this, I hate being here. Why do I have to be here today, right? So that's hypocrisy, okay? What's going on in my heart without any repentance on my part, is different than what's going on on my face. However, we are also changing people, which means that I can handle that slightly differently, and it might sort of look the same. Let me just explain. So I'm driving to church, and I have this horrible attitude, and man, the Lord helps me recognize, oh, this is a silly attitude, so now I have to go to church and I have a bad attitude and I'm sinning in that way too, you know, and my heart's struggling with this and I'm talking with the Lord on the way to church. Lord, I really don't want to go here. Why is it, I feel like I'm in a catch-22. What am I going to do, you know? The whole way to church, I'm fighting, but I can recognize it for what it is. Wait a second, is it God's spirit in me that doesn't want to go to church? Or is that my flesh? Is that the old man that God is trying to refine in my life and get rid of? Oh, that's the old man. That's clearly not God's spirit. So I can see it for what it is. I get to church, and I'm still fighting the battle. I'm walking up to the door, and I'm still fighting the battle. Lord, help me to put down my flesh. I don't want that. I want to want to go to church. I agree with you and your spirit. That's what I want, so help me as I walk into church, and I can even enter the doors, and in that moment, okay, Lord, give me grace. I I want to want to be here. (laughs) And so the first person I see, I smile. I say, how you doing? He's like, well, I'm battling a little bit today, but I'm good. The Lord's given victory, and I'm here, and I'm thankful. And I can say that with a genuine spirit, because I'm killing the flesh in me that doesn't want to be here, And I'm yielding to God's spirit in me who absolutely wants to be in church, right? And that can be genuine. It doesn't have to be hypocritical. So there's an honest way to deal with our torn selves that I have God's flesh and I, or, oh, I have my flesh. (laughs) That that was problematic. I have my flesh (laughs) and God's spirit in me, and I'm a work in progress. We could be honest with one another, right? And so that's so helpful. We are becoming, not pretending. We are humble, not hypocrites. We're honestly seeking to change, not covering up what's wrong with us. Um, So those distinctions are, are sort of helpful. Okay.
we got to move. So uh, who did I give Ephesians 4 to? Michael. Even the truth and love, we are to grow in every, or grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow, so that it builds itself up in love. All right. So what we see in these verses, again, tons of stuff we could dig out of these here, but. Um, each part of the body plays a role in building each other up. And so the basic concept I want to take away from these verses, we need help from one another. This speaking the truth in love is us speaking God's word into each other's lives so that we grow up into Christ. We're easily blinded to our sin. And so our brothers and sisters in Christ can indeed help us see those things. This is the reason we have growth groups. It's an opportunity. I mean, this can happen anytime. Anytime you interact with believers at church. But it's a specific opportunity for you to speak the truth of God's word into the life of another believer. Now, hopefully that's happening in other contexts too, not just at growth groups. But it's these verses, this is the idea, that we're helping each other grow up into Christ by speaking the truth to one another as we study the word together. All right, I'm going to move quickly through the rest of these. Um, So you're welcome to track along and turn to these passages if you'd like to, but I will not uh, assign them out. We'll try to get through them together here. All right, so letter F. We celebrate Christ in us and others. Oops, what did I do? Oh, I skipped. E, yes, excuse me. Uh, We should not become attached to any personality trait. I'm a work in progress. So we do this on both sides of things. We, on the positive side, we can overemphasize certain personality traits. And on the negative side, we can excuse sin based on certain personality traits. I won't even mention any, okay? But we, just, we do this sometimes. God gave us personalities, but just remember this. He's refining our personalities. So they're changing. We're being refined. So here's what we want. Here's a goal for you. I want to be the spirit-filled version of myself. There, I, I don't fully know what that looks like. There'll be aspects of Lance that still come through, but Christ and the fruit of the Spirit will be most obvious. And so somehow my personality can be refined in such a way that people can see Christ in me. So we're, so we're not like, you know, necessarily applauding our personality. We can be thankful for our strengths, and work on our weaknesses, but sometimes even our strengths need to be tempered a little bit um, so the Lord is seen through us. So, yeah, seek to be the Spirit-filled version of yourself. Letter F, we celebrate Christ in us and others. Colossians 1.28 says, uh, where did I put that verse? No, it's missing. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect uh, and complete in Christ Jesus, or something along those lines, as a Augsburger paraphrase there. Uh, But yeah, we preach Christ, and so I'm looking for Him in others. I can say things like, wow, what you did really reminded me of God's kindness. Thank you. Yesterday, when you forgave your sister, I saw God's mercy in you. Thank you. We're looking for Christ and rejoicing when we see Christ in us and in others. 
Letter G, we should focus on what God is doing in us and others. So, um, you might have a friend in the church and you've got a list of like six areas they need to grow. <laughs> right? Oh, man. Or maybe a spouse or maybe somebody else, whatever. But anyway, so you've got this long list of things, right? Well, just remember, God has an even longer list. So the real important question is, where is God working? Where's God prompting their heart through Scripture? Where's God working? That's a great question to ask people. How's God working in your life right now? What's he teaching you? And then as you hear from them, you say, oh, yeah, that's on my list too. I'll pray for you, and I want to encourage you in that. Keep working at it. You know? So sometimes we come to people with our list of six things, and it's, it is not what God happens to be working on right now. We end up distracting them on these other things, which, sure, might need to be done. But where is God working? That's what's important in your life and in others' lives. Letter H, we're not judges. It's just not our role. Um, It doesn't mean we're blind to what's right and wrong. We're light bearers, and the light will reveal what is right and wrong. But when we see what is wrong, we move towards them with compassion and help. We're not judges, we're helpers. Letter I, we're patient helpers. Romans 15, 1 and 2. Bear with one another. We who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. We are patient helpers. Think of how patient God is with us. But over a lifetime, he's slowly changing me into the image of Christ. And so we're patient with one another. Finally, we are restorers, not police officers. We like to be police officers. We are not police officers. We're restorers. When we catch someone in a sin, we put them in handcuffs and turn them in. No. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. (laughs) No more handcuffs in police cars. (laughs) We gently help them back to the truth, to the light. We're restorers, not police officers. All right. Enough said. God is so patient with us. If you take nothing else away from that tonight, be encouraged. God is patient as he grows us and changes us. And that means we ought to be patient with one another as we help each other grow in Christ. So we're works in progress. All right, we'll be dismissed with that. I went a little long tonight. I apologize for that. Thanks for being here. You're dismissed.